Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know that some of you love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whatever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. We are on the April 23rd Third. episode. We're doing Leviticus. We're in uh, Psalms still and Ecclesiastes. We finished Levit- Leviticus this week and I, I was surprised when I got to the end. I just yeah, felt like I was it's too. longer than that. I was like, oh, that's it. Yeah, I thought it was longer as well. And I actually thought that, I thought um, Moses lifting up the serpent was in Leviticus, but it is in Numbers. I it's Numbers, say. yeah. Yeah. Leviticus, again, I don't know. It just comes to life when you think about it in terms of, when you think about it through the lens of Christ, both what he yeah. saved us from having to do and all of the things that he represents in here, mm-hmm. including like the year of Jubilee is in this part, mm-hmm. which I just love. Like that reset year. It's a reset year for everyone. Yes. And it goes, yeah. oh, see, it's so funny. All of the, you can't do the recap anymore without going back to the study that we're doing right now. Genesis. Yeah. Yeah. But if you look at the year of Jubilee, the whole point of the year of Jubilee is like, may you never forget that this, the world is mine. The earth is mine. Yes. Yes. And so, yes, it's about like giving it all up and giving it all back to him. And so that he can restore it to its mm-hmm. rightful owner. So we can restore it to its rightful owner and then people can go back. It's a restart mm-hmm. every 50 years and, um, or every 49th to 50th year. That's what God's establishing with Abraham. Lest you ever forget that Isaac is mine, that mm-hmm. Isaac was my promise to you. It was not, it's, it was never yours, but always mine for my purposes and for my plans. Mm-hmm. That's what he's doing with Israel. It's like, I give it back to me every 50 years. I want you to remember that. And I wonder whether they ever actually did it. And the reason right. I wonder that is because, and when I think about the fact that they couldn't go six days, like they knew that they had they had plucked enough mana on that sixth day to last on the seventh day, but they just had, they had to go out anyway, just to see, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? If they couldn't go through six days of, and be obedient on that seventh day, how on earth did they go 49 years thinking right. about theirs? Did they ever actually? Well, that's the thing. So this read through of Leviticus, I think I've recognized how helpful Leviticus is as a setup for the rest of this book or the rest of the Bible, because it's giving us so much background on who God's people are as a people and what God required of them. In 23, God tells them that they can't reap the corners or the edges, which is sets us up for Ruth, you know, and then 26, that whole chapter where he, this, this covenant of works idea thing is set up and God's like, if you do this, then this, and the year of Jubilee, well, every seven years, they're supposed to have that year of Sabbath. And God is like, if you do what I ask you to do, you're going to have plenty in that sixth year. And you're not going to have to worry about it. Just like you were saying that reminder that God's like, I am doing 
all of this. Mm-hmm. I will make sure that you have enough crops. That year of Jubilee, they would have they would have needed double that. He's like, I got this covered. If you're doing what I'm asking you to do, you don't have to worry about that. I'm yes. doing that. But yes. then the next section in 26 is if you don't, if you refuse to obey me, and he lists out all these things that come as a result of their disobedience. And all I could think about was the prophets, like Kings, Chronicles, prophets, all of this stuff that God's listing, it happens mm-hmm. because they don't obey. And so, so just like Leviticus is this little, it's like the prologue, it feels like. I mean, it's not, but it almost is setting us up for the rest of the story. It sets us up for Jesus. It sets us up for the history of Israel. It's a, all of it. Yes, it sets us up for all of it. Jesus, it sets us up for the Holy Spirit with the Pentecost. Like the Pentecost is all written in here, all the feasts, the trumpets, Feast of Trumpets. Right. The affliction. Right, all of it. Yeah. Hey, hey, we have a new announcement for you. Our study of Abraham is wrapping up at the end of this month in April, and very soon we'll be releasing a new topical study. We'll take a break from inductive study in the month of May, and we'll be meeting together for one day on May 18th to discuss our takeaways from the new study on parenting. Join us on the network as we explore God's provision and grace in parenting. Then, in June, our dive into the book of Genesis will continue as we explore the life of Jacob through the lens of Christ. So head on over to the network to come and see. So the other thing that I love in this 26 is like the beginning of 26 is where God sets up. He's reminding them of the covenant, covenant basically. If you do this, then this. If you don't do this, then this. But then at the other, at the end, starting in verse 40, it says, on the other hand, if they confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors, I will remember my covenant. Yes. Um, and then it continues to go in verse 40 something, 44 maybe. This translation says, but in spite of their behavior, while they are among their enemies, I won't reject or abhor or destroy them completely. I won't break my covenant with them. I am God, their God. For their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I, with all the nations watching, brought out of Egypt in order to be their God. I am God. So just that, I yes. just like that confession. He's like, just confess. Just acknowledge the fact that you have not done what's required of you. And it's forgiven. Yes. That's all you have to do you know? Yes. And that, that line in spite of their behavior reminded me again of the line of a song in Andrew Peterson's song. He says, in, in stubborn spite of my stubborn spite, I'm loved nonetheless. So like God's being just mm. as stubborn, like in, anyway, I love that word yeah. play on words kind of. And when I read this, in this translation, it made me think of that right off the bat. It actually makes me think of that verse in Hosea that you talked about um, last year. Because I am not, because I am God and I am not human, I will be merciful to you. Like in that, like, only because I have the power to be this merciful, am I going to be merciful? Like Mm -hmm. there is no amount of mercy less than God's Mm -hmm. mercy that would allow me to take you out of the atrocities that you've committed and stay true mm-hmm. to my word. Like it's just, I love this word in ESV. It says, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then mm. I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I'll remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. And I think about 
we're talking in Genesis about circumcision and that difference between a circumcised heart, like what circumcision meant to Abraham and what it, what Paul talks about in Romans and some of the other epistles is that he intended for us to have a circumcised heart. And that's mm-hmm. what, and he's talking about it here in Leviticus. Mm-hmm. Like he's talking about our uncircumcised hearts. What he wanted all along was circumcised hearts. Mm-hmm. And when, and when we, what he's saying here is what we're living out right now, which is it's still in repentance that we receive the promises and the covenant made with mm-hmm. Abraham. Anybody with an uncircumcised heart is still not living, is not receiving the covenant that was made, the promises mm-hmm. that were made to Abraham. But as soon as you understand who Jesus is and what he's done and you come to repentance, which is what you're saying, all you have mm-hmm. to do is confess and repent. Mm-hmm. And I will remember my promise. It's, it still stands today. That's what we're yep. living in today is for those of us who have confessed, those of us who have circumcised our hearts have, have declared that Jesus is our Lord which comes with repentance. Mm-hmm. Those two things have to go together. Right. And that's what, because I didn't finish reading. I read that beginning part on the other hand, if, on the other hand, if they confess, I love, this is really good wording too. On the other hand, if they confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors, their treacherous, their treacherous betrayal, the defiance that set off my defiance that sent them off into enemy lands. If by some chance they soften their hard hearts and make amends for their sins. So that's the repentance. There's mm-hmm. the confession and the making amends, how they, how it's translated in here. You're right. It's But the amends is Jesus, right? The amends is the sacrifice. Jesus, we, they made a, atonement. That's how they make amends with God back, back then. Yeah. Yeah. Up. And we make amends through. Right. The Jesus repentance taking, because of Jesus. Right. Yes. And the sacrifice that we would have had to have taken before mm-hmm. to show our repentance now we, is on Jesus. And so we bring Jesus, <laughs> we bring Jesus to God with us every time we mm-hmm. go in repentance. I, I know I have never read Leviticus before the last few years with such gratitude. Mm-hmm. It's just a, like, he's so fair and he's so mm-hmm. just, and he's so kind. The foreigner, he's like, treat the foreigner the same. The alien, mm-hmm. the poor, he has them all in mind from the very mm-hmm. beginning as though he was making a nation for himself, but he was making a nation for himself to show how he wanted everyone to be treated. Mm-hmm. Psalms. Psalms. Oh, so beautiful. There was one Psalm this week for me. That was just for me right now. Cause you know, we talked last week about how it's meant to be read, to be prayed for whatever circumstance you're in. There's a, there's a Psalm for however you're feeling. <laughs> <laughs> That should be a t-shirt. There's a psalm for that. <laughs> I like that. We went out to dinner with an admiral recently for Jeff's work. And obviously like world affairs came up in conversation, you know, we're talking about um, countries and which ones really don't have our best interest in mind. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so we were, we were talking about that. And so to have that kind of put back on the forefront of my mind Mm -hmm. was a little unnerving to remember that there are people who don't want me to live my life the way that I get to live my life currently. And they have a lot of power and a lot of money. And so we were, anyway, we were talking about that. And so Psalm 33 was particularly helpful in that part where it says, verse eight, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him for he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. He's really talking about the word and like the word of the Lord 
makes Did you say 33? Yeah, Psalm Sorry. 33. Uh, repeatedly, it's the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves his righteous and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast who love the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand uh, stand in awe of him for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stirred for him. So it's talking about the power of God's word. Like he literally speaks and things happen. Mm -hmm. So verse 10, I found particularly lovely. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people's the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Just such a great reminder that being his, no matter where you are in the world, mm -hmm. you are his nation. He will take care of his people. Like mm -hmm. that is just such a reassuring thing for even though like everything may go to chaos around us and everything we look like sheep being led to the slaughter mm -hmm. or sheep being led to give up everything that is ours like ultimately if we are those people if we are if god is god in our lives if he is truly king and the authority care of us like he hide, and so many of these psalms are about that he hides us in the shell in his shelter mm -hmm. he shelters us and he protects us and i could go on and on but those are that was the psalm for this week and then psalm 34 is the psalm written on lydia's tombstone so much of it really spoke to me, but, um, starting in 15 to the end, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and, the, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. I mean, I'll just camp there for a while, I think. Yeah. Yep. I like that so much better than the message version of it. Oh, really? Yeah, the Psalms have been not easy for me to read in the message. I think this is my least favorite so far. Oh my gosh, this is the one. I think this is the Psalm 32 last year in the message. Psalm 32 was the one that I like wrecked me. I My life was changed in the Psalm 32 from the message. Starting in verse three, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning... Mm -hmm through my groaning all day long for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of the summer, but I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It's so much better in the message. Mm -hmm. What's the word? What does he say? In it says the then it says, then I let it all out. I said, I'll make a clean breast of all my failures to God. Suddenly the pressure was gone. Yes. My guilt dissolved. My sin disappeared. Yep. Like I felt all of that, like mm -hmm. all of that was like fully experienced. And I don't think that I would not have gotten that from reading it out of these old words and mm -hmm. like the ESV version. I did think in Psalm 34, um, verse nine, worship God. If you want the best worship opens doors to all his goodness made me think of Ecclesiastes last week and how Solomon's like, we don't get it all. 
like none of it makes any sense. So all we should do is worship and just thinking about how our worship helps when, when we're like, he went, it was in, it was in Ecclesiastes three, he's going back and forth and he's basically been saying that he's done, he's tried living it up. He's tried pursuing wisdom and none of it matters. But then he says, whatever God does, that's the way it's going to be always. No addition, no subtraction. God's done it and that's it. That's so we'll quit asking questions and simply worship in holy fear. And then this Psalm 34 says, worship opens doors to all his goodness. And it just made me think about when we get to that point where we're like, none of this makes any sense. I'm going to worship. That's when sometimes we, it starts to make sense a little bit because we are able to see God's goodness Oh my gosh, that, that don't make sense. Abraham. Yes, it totally makes me think of Abraham. Yeah. You know what? This is my favorite part of reading the Bible the way we read it in the reading plan. Well, I mean, we talk about tracing themes all the time and the way all of these different, like how we can be in the Pentateuch and Psalms and Ecclesiastes or the New Testament, wherever we are, and all of those things, there's some kind of connection and thread yes. that we can pull through. Mm-hmm. But I also, I mean, taking that even a little bit of a step further is when the actual words match up. You know what I mean? Where I don't have to just look for a thread to pull. I can say, oh my goodness, it's actually saying exactly the same thing. You read a line that makes you think of a line that you've read already that says the same thing. And then you're allowed, then you're able to like trace the theme and pull the thread. And yes, I just, it's so cool to be in so many different parts of God's word at the same time and be able to get this kind of overarching picture of how it works together. And yes, I think because we were just talking about Abraham earlier, because we're doing the dive Genesis study covering Abraham. And we were just talking about how, how Abraham was called to worship. Like he was called to sacrifice Isaac with the same pomp and circumstance that he would have done with all of the other sacrifices that he had ever worshiped with God you're saying like, it just sort of clicks together because we were talking about the agony of that worship. Mm -hmm. Um, We were talking about how nothing about taking Isaac to sacrifice would have made any sense to Abraham Mm -hmm. because Isaac was the promised seed that all the nations Mm -hmm. were going to come from. So Abraham's just blindly taking Isaac in obedience because he worships God. And so to come to this point and go, Oh, Oh, Right. That's how we could do that. Well, and I think too, if we think about that in reference to David and the Psalms, a lot of David's Psalms are agony. He's writing in response to terrible circumstances Yes, and yet it ends in worship. Like that's how he's able to make sense of it so many times, even when he, or not make sense of it. I mean, there's lots of Psalms where David's like, I can't, figure this out. I don't but know what's going on. Almost every time he remembers something else that God's done in the right. past, which is exactly right. what Abraham has to have done. Is that yep. Abra- God provided Isaac out of nothing and yet here he is. And so mm-hmm. if Isaac is here out of then there's no way that I should be sacrificing him and he'll be the father of nations, but because God has said so. Mm-hmm. It is so. It's like the rem- like the remembrance is what leads us to worship in, yeah. in the midst of agony is he's been faithful before. And even though I can't see it and none of it makes any sense, mm-hmm. he will be faithful again. Yes. It's oh the, it's circular. It's like those things lead us to worship yes. and worship leads us to the ability to believe God. It's, yes. It works both ways kind of. Yes. Uh, 
He's so good. Ecclesiastes. You know, I'm just gonna, I'm actually like, you're my crutch through Ecclesiastes. I, <laughs> so Psalms, Proverbs, there was a Proverbs that really, I keep chewing on. It talks about like, um, someone who thinks they're wise is worse, is than, it a worse than a fool. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember what the words exactly are, but it basically indicates that they're, it's worse than foolish to think that you are wise. And I have to be honest, I actually thought that I was wise. I, I think, I think I'm a wise person or at least yeah, I, I mean, have in the past thought of myself as a pretty wise mm-hmm. person. So that one really caught me like off guard when mm-hmm. I saw that, I was like, well, that's, Ouch. And not, I'm like, I don't get any of this. I'm like, I really don't. I have no, I have no wisdom whatsoever. So <laughs> teach me your ways in Ecclesiastes. Well, I don't, I mean, that's, mm. <laughs> I mean, I know it's a lot not, of pressure, Aaron. No, I mean, I, I, Oh, I know you're in the same situation that I well, am. Well, okay. So that brings me actually to one of the first notes that I made in this section that we read of Ecclesiastes is in the beginning of five, it says, watch your step. When you enter God's house, enter to learn. Mm-hmm. That's far better than mindlessly offering a sacrifice, doing more harm than good. And that is an area where Mm-hmm. I t- like kind of like you, like, I think I'm wise. Like, I think I know things. And I, I mean, I admit that I don't know things, but in my own head, you know what I mean? Like the way I, yeah. I think I know things. Yes. And so that was, that totally caught my attention to like, I wrote be teachable next to it. And I remember, I feel like already this year when we were reading in, maybe it was John, that was another thing that it was in one of the gospels that we've already read through this year. It's pride is what it is. Like you can't be proud and teachable. You have to be humble in order mm-hmm. to be teachable. And so that is actually the first thing out. I've underlined too. And I like the way that mine puts it, <laughs> especially because I talk a lot. Uh, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God mm-hmm. is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. I think about that a lot. I often rush into God's presence with all the things I have to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't have a right perspective. I think of God. I see him as my friend, my pally, God, my pally. Yeah. And it's not that, that, I mean, there is an aspect there. Oh, there, friendship. Yes. But not yes. pal. He's not my pal. Pal is like, a, right. like he's a, it's a very diminutive idea of God compared yes, to you're right. who he is. Yeah. I think I can just rush in and be like, okay, this is what I want to talk to you about God. And he's, you know what I mean? Yep. Don't didn't listen to me because yeah. I have things to tell you. Yes. Oh, yeah. That was a convicting. I agree that that one stood out to me too. So another thing that stood out to me, the end of five also talks about, he talks about like, basically I've come to the place where enjoy it, like do make the most of what you have for as long as you live. That's the, that's the best way to live. But then in verse six, he said, or chapter six in verse six, he says, even if someone lived a thousand years, make it 2000, but didn't enjoy anything. What's the point? Doesn't everyone end up in the same place? We work to feed our appetites. Meanwhile, our souls go hungry. And I was just, I've been, I was thinking about, he talks a lot about joy and enjoying things in Ecclesiastes. Like the contrast of that is you're working so hard, but then in the end you die and somebody who doesn't work for anything gets all your stuff. Like that whole who you leave, that's not what gives it meaning. That idea that the joy that we find in doing the things that God has called us to do on this earth and in enjoying the gifts that he's given. I mean, I've said this to you before. Those, all of those things, the whole point of that is to point us to the giver. 
the joy that we find in the life that God's given us to live is what gives it meaning. That's what makes it meaningful. There are some things about Solomon's Ecclesiastes that trouble me. And that would be one of them because that it's missing. I feel like it's missing the part, which is that like tomorrow will be good too. Like he's good today. And, and while you should enjoy what you've been given today, I think, I think there's wisdom in that, but there's also like a trust that tomorrow will be good too. Mm-hmm. Maybe not painless. You know what I mean? Right. And, well, so- go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say another thing that stuck out to me is in chapter seven, verse 14, it says on a good day, enjoy yourself on a bad day, examine your conscience. God arranges for both kinds of days so that we won't take anything for granted. So that kind of ties into what you're saying. I think you're right there. I mean, what did you say a second ago about like your problem with Solomon's Ecclesiastes are? It's like each week can be married for tomorrow you die. And it's like, but even if we die, it's still good. You know what I mean? Like there's right. And I think he gets there sort of. Right. Okay. So this goes back to even talking about the books and the purposes of the book. Mm -hmm. Solomon's books are wisdom books, which are specifically how we are supposed to live in this world. So that Mm -hmm. makes perfect sense. How you are supposed to live in this world. We're not, it's not about forward thinking to eternity. It's not an eternal kingdom perspective. This is world wisdom. This is in the flesh. How do you live in your flesh? What he's saying is how do you live? He's not talking about how do you die? He's talking about how do you live and how to best live now is enjoy. And I think like, just to add on to that a little bit, God doesn't want us to separate our living now from our kingdom perspective. All of that should be wrapped Mm -hmm. up into in together. And when we live like Ecclesiastes talks about, and I mean, question all of these things, it's okay to question these things, you know, it's okay Mm -hmm. to wonder. None of this fully makes sense to us because we don't, because we have a human perspective, but when we're living this way, when we're living in recognition of the fact that God's given us work to do in the moment and calls us to enjoy it. And he's given us good gifts and he calls us to enjoy it. Those things point us to eternity because those are things we'll still enjoy in eternity, but only perfectly. Like we won't be, we won't have this earthly quandary that we're in, that we're in now to try to figure out how we find me. Because the whole reason we're asking these questions in Ecclesiastes is because we know this earth is not the end. If this earth was the end, Mm -hmm. then I think it's easier you eat, drink, and be merry and you, and do things that you enjoy. You know what I mean? But because we know Mm -hmm. that there's more after this and that because there's more, there has to be meaning in this life. That's why we ask these questions and why we live the way that we do. What we believe about God and eternity is what informs how we live now. And that's, I think what Solomon is wrestling with because we can't fully understand. We don't see the big, we don't see the big grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. I think what you're saying is that he's wrestling. We get an insider's view to Solomon's mm-hmm. wrestling with all of it. That's a really helpful perspective to kind of take into a verse like that, because I do, I feel like I read a, I read a set of verses and I'm like, no, that's not it. You know? And then I read another he, set of verses and I'm like, there it is. That's there. It yes. is. Like, that's good. Yes. You know? And then you read another set he's of verses. He's like going like, back and forth. It's like contradictory kind of back and forth. Yeah. Yes. It's irritating. I'm not enjoying it a lot, but you know, when you find a good nugget, you're like, that's really good. You know, right. like, what do I do with the rest of it? Cause that's right. not garbage. <laughs> yeah. Cause then I'm like, why didn't you just land there Solomon? But he's like, nope, still thinking. I'm still thinking about this. 
Thanks for listening to the recap. If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth Bible studies where we model our version of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org and we will see you next week.